Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on State of the World, what do Palestinians think about the war and Hamas now? Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR. We bring you the day's most vital international stories, up close, where they're happening. It's Monday, October 23rd. I'm Greg Dixon. It's been more than two weeks since Hamas militants attacked Israel, killing more than 1,400 and taking more than 200 hostage. In a few minutes, we'll hear about life in the aftermath of the attacks from displaced members of one Israeli kibbutz that was ravaged by militants. First, Israel's reaction to the attacks have focused on the Gaza Strip, which is ruled by Hamas. Israeli airstrikes have killed more than 5,000 Palestinians there. But violence is also escalating in the West Bank, another Palestinian area under Israeli occupation on the other side of Israel from Gaza. Palestinians say at least 90 people have been killed in the West Bank by Israeli security forces and Israeli settlers since the start of the war with Hamas. To hear from Palestinians, NPR's Jackie Northam went to the West Bank. Palestinians sift through rubble next to a massive hole in the side of a mosque at the Janine refugee camp, the aftermath of an overnight Israeli airstrike in the occupied West Bank. The Israeli military claim a compound below the mosque was being used by Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad to organize attacks. The strike will likely inflame tensions between Israeli security forces and Palestinians throughout the West Bank. Dozens of Palestinians have been killed and hundreds wounded over the past two weeks. There's a steady stream of customers at this juice shop here in the centre of Ramallah. Large glass vats of fresh fruit juices line one wall behind the counter. The owner, Abu Sharif, puts a spoonful of several into a shaker. Dragonfruit, strawberry, papaya, avocado. Sharif's shop looks out over Manara Square, a popular gathering spot in Ramallah. He says the protests have grown larger since Israel announced a full blockade on Gaza in retaliation for the Hamas attack earlier this month, which killed more than 1,400 Israelis. More people, they, they be in demonstration and uh, they're more angry compared to before the war, yes. And the protests are getting increasingly violent. People here are glued to TV and social media following every development in Gaza. Some see Hamas militants as taking action against years of Israeli occupation. 39-year-old Sana Rumeya sips a coffee and says she wishes Hamas was in the West Bank. We're with Hamas, she tells me. They're fighting for our people. She says the militant group is doing more for the people than the Palestinian Authority, which governs this area. The Palestinian Authority, which is supposed to be our government, she says, is doing absolutely nothing for us, at a time that Hamas is doing everything for us. There's a growing collective anger in the West Bank against the Palestinian Authority, simply known as the PA. It's viewed as being under the thumb of Israel. Its security forces also crack down on protesters. The president of the PA, Mahmoud Abbas, has not called elections since he came to power nearly 20 years ago. 
Ismat Mansour, a Ramallah-based analyst, says the U.S. and Israel want to keep a pliable leader in the West Bank. He says Abbas has failed to bring democracy or clamp down on the rampant corruption in his administration. And there's a big gap between him and the people. Abbas is 87 years old. Fadi Quran, a community organizer and human rights activist in the West Bank, says if Palestinians were allowed to have free and fair elections, you would see inspiring young leaders rise. But here, whenever you have these types of voices attempt to rise up, they get arrested, they get silenced. Quran says the frustration with the PA is more acute as Palestinians in the West Bank watch what's happening in Gaza, where nearly 5,000 people have died in Israeli airstrikes since October 7th. I would not say that this has led to increased support for Hamas ideologically or politically, but I would say that many Palestinians feel that they do need to find ways to take up arms to protect themselves against attacks from settlers and the Israeli military which runs the risk of creating a different version of Hamas in the West Bank. Jackie Northam, NPR News, Ramallah. Back with more State of the World in a minute. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teledochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, an automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares why Betterment believes cash can be a strategic choice. There are times when the market is volatile, when customers are a little nervous about investing. We came to understand that there was an opportunity to introduce cash as part of an investing strategy and to give back yields to the customer. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. For Israeli survivors of the Hamas attacks, the nightmare is far from over. Their loved ones are still being recovered and buried, held hostage in Gaza, or are still missing. And for those who survived, what now? NPR's Daniel Estrin visited a hotel where hundreds of survivors from a community that suffered some of the most catastrophic losses are staying. It's disorienting when you walk into the Shfaim Hotel along the Mediterranean coast. There's so much life and so much loss. These are the displaced survivors of Kibbutz Kfar Aza. Families lounge on green lawns. Kids play basketball. Survivors walk their dogs in the hotel lobby past a handwritten roster of funerals that keeps growing. Nadav Amikam, Yuval Salomon, Neta Epstein, Aviv Kotz, Livnat Kotz, Rotem Kotz, Yonatan Kotz, Yiftach Kotz. Wow five members of the same family. Here's an easel where a man has just written yet another funeral. All of these people, men and women, killed, lived in the same community, the kibbutz Kfar Aza, and none of them are being buried in the community where they were killed. I heard them starting entering the houses, breaking doors, breaking windows, and just brutalizing everything all around. 
Geologist Bar Elisha hid under pillows in his neighbor's shed. He listened to the attackers go door to door. And was like, oh my God, he's dead. His whole family's dead. I was sure they were murdered in cold blood. Then I heard them moving to the next house, into the next house. Soldiers rescued Elisha 30 hours later. He emerged to destruction. Homes at gaping holes. The attackers left behind an aerial photograph with buildings identified as targets. The details haunt the survivors. Our little piece of paradise has become pure hell. I, I, I don't know how to, else to put it. Media consultant Avidor Schwartzman had moved to the kibbutz a couple months ago with his wife and baby. It had palm trees, a plastics factory, a dining hall, the kibbutz ideal of communal living. There is a waiting list to join even though it's along the Gaza border where occasional rocket fire was always a part of life. When we moved there, we thought it was safe. I mean, yeah, there was constant bombing and everything, but we never thought that dozens or even hundreds of terrorists will infiltrate the kibbutz and will start slaughtering entire families in their home, in their beds. Uh, my wife lost both of her parents. They were murdered. They lived... I know, about 100 meters from us, 150 meters from us. More than 50 out of the community's 1,000 residents were killed. Others were kidnapped. Some are missing. The survivors evacuated. Now hundreds of them are staying together at this hotel on another kibbutz north of Tel Aviv. Their days are filled with funerals and visitors. We spotted a film star and a former Israeli president. Everything they own, they left behind. They're wearing donated clothes. Schwartzman is stunned to be in someone else's outfit. Do you think about whether you'll go back to your home, Faraza? I don't know. I don't think that we'll go back there. We just don't feel safe anywhere right now. Even Shiva, the Jewish ritual of mourning at home, can't be done at home. Shiva after Shiva is here in the lobby of a bank on the hotel grounds. We meet Ofer Baram sitting Shiva for his son Aviv, who stage-managed popular artists. He's an angel that came to visit us for 33 years, give his light, give his uh, love, give his... What, I don't know, whatever can someone give to the world and disappeared. Aviv was the, the glue that uh, uh, gathered us around him, the wife, uh, his mother, myself. And if Aviv is not there, no reason to live there. In Gaza, Palestinians don't have the opportunity to take refuge in a peaceful hotel. They can't escape the deadly Israeli bombings. The Israeli survivors at this hotel are relatively safe, but they cannot yet move on. We meet volunteer therapist Libby Shmuel in the hotel lobby. She tells us about helping one survivor cope with the uncertainty of where his father's body was. He was imagining that his body is just, you know, um, in a bag with many, many bags of other bodies. And it was so terrible, like Auschwitz, just a very bad image. And just wanted to say goodbye to his dad, just see his dad in a different place. Shmuel offered him EMDR therapy, eye movements, knee tapping, guided imagery. He visualized his dad on a mountain a place he fell in love with on a trip abroad once. So he said, okay, I just go there with my dad, and we are together. And then he goes, and he's waving to me, and I see his beautiful smile. And then he said, dad, goodbye, I love you. 
and could see his dad and just give him a hug and say goodbye to him in a normal and uh, dignified way, then he, he got peace. And it's a sense of community that's bringing comfort to the survivors we meet. Avidor Schwartzman. The human spirit here is so strong. You see the civilians here that are taking care of everything. Everything. Everything that you need, like with clothes and money and food, places to be. Everything that you see here, as far as I know, are managed by civilians. The geologist, Bar Elisha, looks across the hotel lawn at all the other families sitting there. I see so many people that I was sure they were dead. Suddenly I see them alive, they survived, and this is what makes me strong and make me feel uh, alive again. Then he lifts up his four-year-old daughter, who also survived, and gives her a kiss. Daniel Estrin, NPR News, Shvaim, Israel. That's the State of the World from NPR. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Greenlight. Want to teach your kids financial literacy? With Greenlight, kids and teens use a debit card of their own, while parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and savings in the app. Get your first month free at greenlight.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the NPR Wine Club. Get the world of wine delivered to your door. When you join the NPR Wine Club, you'll receive the stories behind every bottle and favorite NPR shows and personalities arriving in liquid form, like Weekend Edition Cabernet and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Zinfandel. The NPR Wine Club is a delicious way to support NPR's programming. If you're 21 or older, uncork a special offer at nprwineclub.org slash podcast.